Welcome to Upthinking Finance, a podcast that offers a unique and discerning view of economics and financial planning. Here is your host, Emerson Fersh. Welcome back to another edition of Upthinking Finance. I'm Emerson Fersh. You know, it was David Lee Roth that once said, Money can't buy you happiness, but it can buy you a yacht big enough to pull right up alongside it. Now, I have to tell you, I actually have no idea how that quote relates to anything I'm going to be sharing with you today, but I I really did want to be the first financial person to ever quote David Lee Roth. So we're off to a historic start. No, what I really want to talk to you about is a risk that most people are unaware of as they approach retirement, and that's called the sequence of returns. And I'll share a little bit more about that, but let's just look at some of the variables that enter into preparing for retirement. I mean, one is none of us knows how long we're going to live. That's probably the biggest one. And I always have believed that if we all knew how long we were going to be on this planet, probably guys like me wouldn't have a job. So that's one. We don't know how long we're going to live. Uh, Number two, we have no ideas what tax laws are going to look like as we go forward. I mean, we don't know what they're going to be in six months from now. We don't know what the inflation is going to be, what things are going to cost, what the increase is going to be over time. Um, Even our health, I mean, as much as we can eat right and exercise, there are just things that happen to people that can't be predicted. So these are variables that enter into the discussion about how to invest our money to make sure it lasts long enough and that can cover a variety of these potential issues that can arise that we really don't know what they're going to be. So let's start with that. I'm going to use an example as we go forward of somebody who's going to draw $10,000 a month. That's their goal. And we got to figure out how we're going to fund that. Inflation factors into this, but for now, we're just going to use a nice round number because it's easy to to kind of track if you're listening. So first of all, we look at a person's fixed income sources, okay? And for many people, that will be Social Security, and probably that's all that it'll be. There are other people that will have pensions from their either their company or perhaps they worked in it for a you know, as a teacher, they'd have a teacher's pension. Or there's also people that have rental income, which is also considered fixed income. So we add up all the fixed income sources first. And let's just say in this example, that totals $5,000. So the client wants $10,000 a month, 5,000 of it's coming from these fixed sources. Well, where do we go from there? There's basically two ways to approach supplementing that additional income, that additional 5,000 in this example. One would be through dividends, okay? And so what that is, is is people may have a portfolio that's built around investments that generate a monthly or a quarterly distribution check. They might have, say, a municipal bond portfolio or some kind of uh, investment real estate, REITs as an example, master limited partnerships, uh, or even uh, large cap stocks that pay dividends. So in this example, you know, if we need 5000 a month, that's 60000 a year. We'd have to have a portfolio that's generating $60,000 a year in dividend income. Or the other option is what's called a capital spend-down plan. And what that means is we, we systematically sell shares or principal from the portfolio, and eventually it's going to deplete to zero. Most people do a capital spend-down plan. I've had very few clients over the years that actually have enough money or have enough pension money coming into where they can rely just on dividends alone. And so capital spend down is is pretty typical. 
there's a kind of an unwritten rule that many of you may have heard of that's the 4% rule, which is, is a guideline. Uh, my experience is if you personalize the plan to each client, you can sometimes increase that for periods of time. But 4%, the idea is if you draw 4% of your portfolio down, you should be able to average on a year-to-year basis net of fees and taxes about a 4% gain. So there's an offset. So you're not overspending. But the capital spend down plan has risks, and that's the next part that I want to discuss. Sequence of returns risk refers to the kind of market that we're executing a capital spend down plan into, meaning what kind of returns is the market providing as we're liquidating the portfolio? Believe it or not, this is a huge issue and it's completely random. We don't necessarily can't predict what the market's going to do from one year to the next. We have a general idea, and history has shown there's a principle called variance compression, which means the longer you go into an investment cycle, the less variable the returns become year to year. But the reality of it is, is, is it's still unpredictable enough to where if we don't plan for it, it can completely derail your retirement. And I'm going to share an example of that with you right now. Now, for those of you that are listening, I'll describe what we're looking at. What I'm illustrating here are a series of 20-year returns starting in 1989 and running through 2008. Then what we've done, for those of you who are just listening, is we've inverted those the order of those returns so that the first-year returns are from 2008, then 2007, then 2006, et cetera. So 89 to 2008, and then we've inverted them. And there's a reason why we're doing that, um, because in 1989, the market was up and hopefully this will make some sense as you think about it, it was up 31.69%. In 1990, it was down 3.11%. It was up again 30.47% in 1991, and then down in 92, 7.62. So basically, three out of the first four years were up, and the one negative year was negligible. But when you invert those returns, the first year return, which would be 2008, was down 37%. Then it was up 5.49, up 15.79. In fact, you had basically, what is it, about five up years that followed. But that first bad year completely kills the plan, okay? Because what we're looking at is if we start off with a million dollars in each of these two illustrations, and we're invested in the Standard & Poor's 500, and we're drawing out $50,000 a year plus a 3% inflation adjustment each year. And by the way, side note on that, I've never had a client call me in January and say, I want my 3% raise. It's sort of more of a gradual thing. People just after a few years decide they need more money and we bump up their distributions. Um, but you want to include an, an increase in some form. So that's why we have the 3% here. But look at the portfolio comparisons. Even after the 50,000 draw in year one, on the year that the market went up in 89, 31.69%, 31. the portfolio's ending balance was 1.2 million, actually $1,266,900. So even with the draw, it went up. But the other side was with the minus 37%, the value was at 580,000. So this account actually lost almost half its value between the market and between the drawdown in the first year. To understand the challenge it would be to make that up, forget about even drawing money out, but just assume you thought, okay, well, maybe next year the market will do better, my value will go up. It would need to go up. Let's just assume it went down to half a million dollars. And so if you have a half a million dollars, how much does that need to go up the following year to get back to the million? It would need to have a 100% gain. Well, A, that's 
extremely unlikely, if not impossible, and B, what kind of risk would a person need to take to even get that kind of potential growth? So the point is, is that as we work our way through both these columns, um, there's definitely some up years, like I mentioned, for the for the column that started off with the 37% loss, it went up 5.49, 15.79, 4.91, 10.88, 28.68, and it actually did get back up to $683,000, but that was followed by a couple of down years, and eventually this portfolio ran out of money after 18 years, whereas the first portfolio, because it had that good performance in those first, you know, actually in that example, it was really only one down year in the first 10. The portfolio was worth over $3 million after 20 years. Plenty of money to continue to fund a retirement. So the question is, how do you protect yourself against that kind of market risk? How do you protect yourself against the sequence of returns? Because we have no idea what the market's going to do from one year to the next. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next section. How do we protect against varying returns that can change on a year-to-year -year basis and ensure that we're not selling assets into a down market? And the way we do that is something called income segmentation. It's also known as the bucket strategy. Many of you will be familiar with that. I'm going to share my screen here, and we're going to take a look at an example and kind of walk through this on a practical basis. And in this example, the buckets or the segments start with three years and kind of go in five-year to six-year increments. I tend to use five-year increments just because it's easier to explain to the client, and that seems to work. So let's go back to our individual who's looking for that $10,000 a month income. And we've got 5000 from the fixed income sources, as we discussed. And so now we start looking at how we're going to position money. Now, the first segment is going to cover, in this example, it's three years, but we can say five years worth of income. Now, the key is, is because we know that this money is now going to be used in a relatively short amount of time, we want to position those funds in assets that are going to, at a minimum, retain their value and hopefully maybe get some gains. So this is kind of where the transition happens as people retire, because prior to this, what's happening is, is you know, for anybody who's in their 30s and 40s and who's saving and investing for growth, a 10-year fall off in the market doesn't really matter. You know, it's not going to impact them because they're not going to need the money for a while. But now we know that this person who's getting ready to retire has a need, which is $5,000 a month or $60,000 a year, which is, in this case, over the five years, $300,000 that we need to put into this first segment at, in a very low-risk environment. And that doesn't include the inflation adjustment, which I, I can tell you, just as a side note, I've never had any client call me and say, well, I'm ready for my inflation increase this year. It's usually something that pops up over a three or four year period of time. At just some point, clients realize they need more money and we just bump it up. But at any rate, so for simplicity's sake in this illustration, we have this $300,000. Well, some of that money is going to go into cash, where we know in, in this, particularly in this environment, as we were having this conversation in early 2022, that there's inflation that's going to, it's going to lose value, purchasing power to that. But we're really more concerned with capital preservation and hopefully getting some returns. It used to be that you know you would use short-term bonds in this category, but right now with interest rates going up, we're having to look at alternatives to that as well. But that's the first segment. Then we get to segment two, which we know we have a five-year time horizon to before we get to that particular bucket which means we can invest and take on a little bit more risk. Um, but again, you know, five years is long, but it's not necessarily that long. And so we've got a plan for that. So this could include 
possibly fixed income annuities, fixed index annuities, or, or something that's got some kind of a, a downside protection. Those typically have a term to them. But, you know, in this case, if we're locking the money up for five or six years, we know that, you know, it'll be available when we need it, most likely. And that offers some protection. Balance funds might be an example. It really kind of all depends on what's going on. Once we get beyond those first two segments, that first, say, 10 years, my experience is, is that at that point, you know, it's pretty much growth investments. Um, in this example, it says growth in income, which would be typically blue chip stocks that pay a dividend. Um, and then as you go further out, you get into more of the growth side of the market, maybe the small caps, you know, and each of these segments becomes progressively more aggressive with the idea being that, again, even if a 65-year-old person, it used to be people thought that as you retired, you got more conservative. But the problem with that is, particularly as we're seeing now, is if inflation is going up at 7.5%, and it's actually likely higher than that for a lot of people, we've got to invest to at least try to keep up with that. And so that's why even retired people need money and growth. There was an old, when I first got into this work, there used to be a, a kind of a theory or a sort of a, a mantra that you had, that whatever your age was, was how much bond exposure you should have. So if you were 65 years old, you should have 65% of your money in bonds and 35 in stock. Well, that theory got blown to pieces in the early 90s because it, it actually makes no sense. In this case, what we're doing here is we're staggering out the risk, all with the idea of avoiding having to sell assets into a down market. Now, that's the science of this. There's also kind of the art to it. And I think at least speaking for myself, this is really where I earn my keep, particularly with retired clients, because when you're working with clients who are accumulating and saving and building, the, the tone of the conversation is a lot different. I mean, we set goals and you have a target, but it's it's kind of far out there. You want to have something to work towards, but a lot of things can impact that. You know, if you've got a 20-year time horizon, there's just a lot of things that can change, you know, in that 20 years by the time you get to retirement. And so a lot of oftentimes it's more life changes. You know, I'm changing jobs and I've got this money. I may want to look at rolling into something else from a 401k or Children are getting older, need to set up college funds or having kids, maybe life insurance needs to change, stuff like that. Once you get to retirement, those annual meetings become a lot more critical because managing these boxes, these, these buckets, these segments actually can be a lot of work if it's really being done properly. And what I mean by that is at some point, bucket one, segment one gets spent. And then you're at your second segment. And what happens if the market then is going down? If those assets haven't been risk reduced at some point during that first five years, we could still find ourselves in a situation where we're like the guy that, you know, the illustration earlier, we're selling into a loss like in 2008. So part of the challenge with these segments is, is knowing when to potentially pull money off the back end, take money off of, say, section, you know, income segment four, or income segment five, and rebuilding the conservative segment one. And I can give you an example. In 2019, um, you know, that was an opportunity to carve money off the top. And we've had a good run. I mean, anybody who knows really from 2000, the bottom in 2009 up until really um, earlier this year, this we've had a pretty much of a consistent run upwards with a few blips in between. Um, you know, 2018, third quarter ended on a sour note. And it was, I think, 2011 or 13 or 15. Anyway, somewhere in there was the years that were kind of flat. The bottom line is, I mean, you know, the Dow went from whatever it bottomed out at in 2009, about 6,800 to, you know, well over 30,000 today. So that would be a period where during those increases, you carve off money to keep segment one 
filled so that if things turn, there's enough assets there to ride things out. And, you know, your typical down cycle, I mean, they vary, but I, I asked, often ask clients the question when they come in is, how long did it take from the peak of the market at the time in 2007, which the Dow was somewhere around 14,200 in um, the early part of October of 07, how long did it take for it to get back to that point following the big drop in 2008, 2009. So how long was that cycle to get back to the, you know, the 14,200 range? And it was five and a half years. It was March of 2013. So peaked in 2007, dropped, bottomed out in 09, and then took another, you know, whatever it was, uh, I guess, three and a half years to get back up. But the point is that whole cycle was five and a half years. And so that's why you kind of operate with that sort of expectation and trying to manage things and making sure that that first bucket is funded properly. So that's it. Uh, that's the idea here. It works well for most people. Um, again, it just really requires maintenance as you go forward on a year-to-year -year basis. There's a couple other things I'll add real quick just as far as properly positioning yourself in retirement. And one of those things I've learned is having no debt or very low overhead. Um, and that usually involves paying off a house. I had clients who had mortgage payments they had to make in 2008, 2009, and it ended up being a bit of a detriment to their planning because they had to take out money that I, you know, others did not. And, and an example of where that came into effect was, uh, and this occurred also in 2020. So 2008 uh, and 2020, the IRS, I guess the word suspended, the required minimum distribution payments for anybody who did not want to receive that money. So in 2008, the law was at the time that anybody over 70 and a half had to draw out a certain amount of their IRAs that got updated, um, I think it was in 2018 or 19, but in 20, it was age 72. But the point was, is that because the market was down so much, the government said, you don't have to pull this money out if you don't need to. And I had a number of clients that were able to take advantage of that, which means, you know, yeah, maybe we weren't selling money from this first bucket here, or first segment, which was positioned conservatively anyway. But the point was, is that was money that they didn't have to draw that could then push, you know, the, all these segments back and add a year to the back end. And that's kind of the idea with that is to be in a position where if things get really bad, you can ride out the downtime and also actually shut the income distribution plan off. I actually had clients that called me in 2020. I didn't even, of their own volition, to say, hey, look, we just want to stop these payments for six months. And it's the reason why is because they could, because they didn't have the, the, the mortgage. They didn't have a lot of those fixed costs. And so they were in a position to write out the downtime. So there's a lot of opinions on it. I know there are those who think that, uh, you know, paying off a house is not a good use of money, debt, equity, whatever. But um, I, I've always believed that there's, you know, there's the number side of things, which is the quantitative part of it. But there's also the qualitative side of it, which is, the peace of mind factor. And, and as a person who has paid off property, you, you really can't put a price on that. It goes beyond just knowing that, you know, if things turn, you don't have to make a payment. Um, there's there's a lot of security in that. And I think that's really what ultimately this work is all about is, is peace of mind. That's pretty much it for this discussion today. I want to thank all of you for joining me and I look forward to seeing you again. Emerson Fersh is a registered representative with and securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Advisor services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from Capital Investment Advisors. 
The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. The guest speakers and the companies they represent are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial or Capital Investment Advisors. Individual tax and legal matters should be discussed with your tax or legal expert. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal.